Guys, you could take me down some back there. So you guys are probably the smartest people in Calvary, right? Yeah, because you realize going away on Labor Day weekend is bad, right? <laughs> Traffic, uh, all kinds of stuff. You're either the smartest people or you're broke, right? <laughs> right? You're just broke from the summer. Today's scripture reading is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. Last week we started a series in adoration, eight weeks of looking at this vast book called the Psalms. And I shared with you last time that the psalmist, these writers, used a wide range of vocabulary and literary exposition to give us the, the highs and lows of the human experience, what it's like for finite human beings to follow an unseen, infinite God. One of the tragedies of the Psalms is because so many of them are put to glorious music, some of the hymns and contemporary songs that we love, we tend to think of this as a hymn book or some devotional, inspirational book that we flip through in times of need. Uh, in the words of Elmer Fudd, be very, very careful doing that. Because you may flip to Psalm 137, and in a time of inspiration, you may read, O daughters of Babylon, who are to be destroyed, happy the one who repays you as you have served us, happy the one who takes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Not a good way to start your day or to look for inspiration in the Psalms. What we've discovered is this was not only the hymn book of Israel, this was a prayer book. Uh, all the other 65 books of the Bible is the word of God to us. These are the words of men to God. Certainly inspired by God, but we see the rawness, the emotion, the authenticity of what it's like to follow God. And so the writers of the Psalms used everything in their midst, all their vocabulary, to reach for these deep prayers. Mary, when the angel came, she said, my, the, you know, my soul magnifies the Lord. And she quotes three Psalms. Jesus reaches for Psalm 22 on the cross. Many of the saints of God in times of anguish, despair, and even celebration use the Psalms. It was part of their being. Now, none of us would argue that Psalm 23 is probably the greatest Psalm, right? In fact, the Lord is my shepherd is probably the signature phrase in the whole, entire book. U2's Bono said that musically and poetically, this is the perfect psalm. Contemporary musicians like Johnny Cash, Pink Floyd, David Matthews, Kane West have all put this psalm to music. You all remember the Titanic when the ship was going down, that the musicians played this psalm over and over again. 
And so it's all the way through our society. The entire world knows the psalm. Here's what I find fascinating about it. The entire psalm is built on a metaphor that was constructed by a shepherd boy named David in his early years as he tended his father's flocks. Now, we think of shepherding because we know the Bible is some glorious profession. What we need to know is this metaphor is fascinating because shepherding was on the lowest rung of occupations in Israel. The only reason David was even a shepherd is because he's the youngest of eight sons. The rest of the sons were out trying to make a better life for themselves. David went out with the flocks. And he reaches for this metaphor. He begins to understand something about God and the human condition. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Eugene Peterson said, metaphor is the witness of language that spirit and matter are congruent. Metaphor uses the language of sense experience to lead us into the world of the unseen faith. Things like guilt and mind and God. The visible and invisible put asunder by sin are joined together, Peterson said, by metaphor. So when the psalmists pray, they call up lions and snares and dirt to talk about sin. Sun and shade and king to address God. Tree and mountain and lamb to designate lives blessed by God. There's not a single psalm without its metaphor or metaphors. Peterson, in his opinion, said metaphor is the characteristic language of prayer. And David said, the Lord is my shepherd. And I got to tell you, people, if it was not inspired in Scripture, we would have stoned David for heresy. The Lord is my shepherd. Think about it. Last week in Psalm 8, we talked about the name of the Lord, where he said, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name. In all the earth, when I consider this, the moon, the stars, uh, all the things you've created, what is man that you are mindful of and you set your glory above the heavens? And we broke that down and we said the name of the Lord is excellent. And this isn't just God or the generic name for God. This is the YHVH, the Hebrew, I am that I am. That's what God said to Moses, the becoming one, the unspeakable name of God who's put his glory above the heavens. When we talk about Jehovah, we're talking about the timelessness and the character of God. The timelessness. He's the first and the last. He has no beginning and no end. He's infinite. He's the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. When we speak of his character, listen, he's self-sufficient. You know what that means? It means on the org chart, no one's above God. He reports to no one. He doesn't need any more wisdom. He doesn't need to know, you know, how things have changed on the earth. He doesn't need to be helped, worshipped, or served. As Jesus prayed in John 17, before the foundations of the world, the Trinity was in perfect oneness. And he set his glory above the heavens. Uh, yesterday I was at a wedding. My nephew got married. He's an atheist. And so this was an irreligious wedding. First one I've ever been to. No songs, no prayers, no Bible, no readings. Just God stripped out of the whole thing. And uh, I had a chuckle as I was sitting there. I was early, and they had 20 minutes of prelude music for violinists. And I think the bride was late as usual, right? That's to be expected. And so I think the violinists ran out of music, and they had to tap into some old music. And maybe I'm one of the few people there who knew it, but they started to play Be Thou My Vision. at an atheistic wedding, and I'm thinking of the words, oh, ruler of all, ruling over this wedding and nobody knows it. 
Then they went into a psalm from Les Miserables. If you've ever read Victor Hugo, you know it's laced with Christianity and it's one of the greatest portrayals of grace. And then they read from The Alchemist and some of these uh, fictional novels and they gave thanks to the Mother Earth and to the universe that brought us here into water, earth, and sky. And I thought, oh my gosh, last week I quoted G.K. Chesterton who said the problem with atheism is that when good things happen, you have no one to thank. So they had to thank the universe, and then I just chuckled, and I thought God was chuckling, not not at them, but at the foolishness. God said, everything you're thanking, I put my glory above the heavens. This is just the work of my fingers. It's just my handiwork. But his name is excellent in all the earth. David, in his metaphor, said, this Lord, whose excellence is above the heavens, is my shepherd. You know what's amazing? God goes with it. Uh, years ago, uh, there was a book out called Jesus CEO. And everybody got up in arms. Jesus is not a CEO. Jesus life coach. Jesus is not a life coach. We have all these metaphors that we get up in arms about, but we accept a shepherd. This would be akin in our day to say the Lord is my garbage collector. He's my janitor. He's my butler. And yet God goes with it. You see, David took all of his time out in the fields alone with sheep to look at the stars at night, to look at the sheep by day. And in all this reflection and self-realization, David discovered two things every Christ follower in this room needs to discover. One, who God is and can he be trusted. And number two, the plight of the human condition. Who's God to you? And once you figure out who he is, can he be trusted with your life, your one and only life? And then what's the plight of the human condition? David figured these two things out. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, and I'm a sheep. Number one, he makes it personal. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, David had shepherded hundreds of sheep. We know there's seven billion people on the planet. David makes it singular. First of all, there's one shepherd. And... He's my shepherd, individually. Last week I talked about DNA, that 99.9% of all human DNA is the same. 0.00001 of the rest of it makes you and me, individuals. The metaphor works so well because shepherds knew their sheep. Hard to believe, right? They all look the same to me. But many of them had markings on their ears. That's how they knew them. They knew them by their gait, by, by, by their sounds. Shepherds lived with sheep. They ate with them. They slept with them. Now, this is fascinating. I grew up in the city. Uh, when I graduated high school, my mom moved to Connecticut, married a man who owned a restaurant. And uh, we never owned a home, but they pulled all their money together and bought 12 acres in Connecticut. And my mom grew up in a three-bedroom apartment, so she always wanted animals, but she wasn't satisfied with dogs and cats and a few pheasants and chickens. She had to have sheep. And I said, Mom, why do you have a sheep? And she said, well, first of all, who's going to cut all this grass? So she went out and she bought four little ewe lambs, and she would bottle feed them. And she started naming them, and I thought, this isn't good. You're married to a man who owns a restaurant. <laughs> and... Uh, Then she bought a ram, and then she had 40 sheep. But I remember in those early days, we would take my kids there, and she had named all her sheep, and she knew them. 
and she would go down and, you know, after a couple years there was no grass left. It looked like Pride Rock after Scar had uh, presided over it. So then she used to go out and put, you know, feed in their trough and then after that she got lazy and would just open the bag and throw it out the back door. Some of them would actually come in to the screen porch and eat. It was unbelievable. The point is she knew every one of them. And David has this rich metaphor here that the Lord is my shepherd. But the psalm makes no sense without the second part of the verse. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. It says I shall not lack for anything. Now here's, here's an important point you have to understand. See, David understood the plight of the human condition. He realized we're like sheep. We have no defense mechanism, right? We need to congregate. We usually follow the crowd. Uh, it's been known that if you uh, go into a herd of sheep and clap your hands, they might all run in one direction. They'll run down a cliff, get themselves in trouble. Deer have no defense mechanism. They can at least run. You ever see a sheep run? Eh, it's ridiculous. They're sitting ducks, not to mix metaphors. And David said, we're so much like sheep. We like sheep have all gone astray, Isaiah said. David came to the conclusion that like sheep, we all need a shepherd. Human beings need a shepherd. And there's a lot of shepherds out there. There's the achievement shepherd. Some of you were raised that way, that you pleased your parents or somebody else by achieving. If you climbed the ladder of success and achieved, 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 um, that's how you would feel your value. And I want to tell you, because I counsel a lot of these people, the achievement shepherd if you follow him, you will lack. Because there's always a ladder to climb. There's always another rung. There's always someone wealthier. There's always an elusive goal. Some people follow the appearance shepherd. If I can just keep up with the Joneses, if I can keep up with the Joneses' kids, I shall not want. And we all know where that goes. David said, no, there's one shepherd, and he's my shepherd. And I think David, writing as an old man, said, I have never lacked in the kingdom of God. This shepherd has always led me beside still waters and in green pastures. And, and if you look at this, what David is saying is that God is a good shepherd. David was a good shepherd, right? We know he fed the flock. We know that he cared for the flock. He protected the flock. You know, this is a job that a pastor does. When predators would come, David would slay them. You know, we talked about the lion, the wolf and such that he would slay. He lived among the sheep. He knew them by name. Just like there's good cops and bad cops, good politicians, bad politicians, good lawyers, bad lawyers, there's good shepherds and there's bad shepherds. Everybody listen up on this one. Bad shepherds beat the flock. Good shepherds lead the flock. Jesus said, I haven't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. Jesus said, come to me all you who want to rest. All you are weary, and I will give you rest. Lay down your burdens. It says here he leads us beside still waters. He leads us in path of righteousness. He doesn't beat us. Now, you can beat sheep and get results. You can take a rod and a staff, and you can beat them and beat them in the submission. Uh, I mean, you can beat them so much, they'll deal cards. But you won't have happy sheep. And they won't feel like they're not lacking. Sheep are meant to be led. Everything rises in life and falls on leadership. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. 
My sheep hear my voice. In fact, I lay my life down for the sheep. It was Jesus' way of saying that I've given my whole life to them. He who was God, didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, became like us. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He became our great shepherd. Isaiah said of the shepherd when he, come, when he would come that a bruised reed he would not break and a smoldering flask he would not quench. That's why Jesus had to be around sinners and tax collectors. That's why he would leave the 99 to go find the one. He had come for the lost sheep of Israel. He had come for the Gentiles. God is so adamant about this shepherd metaphor. Remember when Moses was wandering with the children of Israel? And they would see miracle after miracle, the manna, the water, the, the plagues, and then they would complain. Someone once told me, you'll recognize Moses in heaven, he's the man with the flat nose, because every time they grumbled and complained, he got on his face and prayed to God. And God would provide. And yet there came a time where the people were thirsty again, and they grumbled and complained, and God said, Moses, strike the rock and water will come. And most of you know the story, Moses struck the rock twice. God, because he's faithful, let water come out. And God said to Moses, you will never see the promised land. And we all think, that's harsh. Wow, God, that's pretty harsh. And the reason why God was harsh is because God came to Moses and said, Moses, you were angry with the people, and I wasn't angry. You misrepresented me. Holy smokes, when I turn on the TV and I see some Christian programs, I think God's being misrepresented every single day. In fact, I, I think non-Christians look at Christian TV and wonder, how can anybody believe this stuff? And then I think about how many sheep have been beaten down over the years. Some of you are here because of that. You've come from toxic experiences where you were guilted into serving, guilted into worshiping. You were accused, judged, condemned. Rather than having a shepherd, you had more of a pharaoh experience. I was young in the Lord, was at a church I got saved into, extreme charismania, and I value a lot of lessons from that church, but after a couple years, we realized God was moving us on. Uh, we had discovered some things about the faith, and we sat down with the pastor and said, we feel like it's our time to move on, and rather than bless us and say, well, I pray that God would have you find your next step along the way, he said, you know, I know a lot of stories of people who have left churches where on vacation they had driven off a cliff. And what he was trying to say is, you know, if you leave this church, you know, you'll be judged by God. And so many of God's sheep, rather than being led, have been beaten. I was thinking about this this week. We were making a lot of changes in our children's ministry. So I've been in a lot of meetings for the last two weeks. And let me tell you, these people do a heroic job. I tell you all the time, when you pick your kids up, I mean, you should thank these people to death. They serve long hours. They love children. They prepare late Saturday night. And they were saying, Pastor Bob, we got some creative things going on. We're excited about the fall season. But we just got to bring one thing up. And I said, what's that? And they said, well, people come and bring their kids really, really late. And I was like, how late? And they're like, well, 20, 30, 40 minutes late. Like 40 minutes, the service is only an hour. And uh, right away, you know, you want to get up here and say, Come on, guys, this isn't a Phillies game. You don't come and go. It's not all about you. You know, the tendency is to want to beat the sheep. So I said, well, guys, let's analyze this. Number one, are we doing everything we can to get people here on time? Is the parking lot 
empty? Is there, are the doors open? You know, have we made it, the process, streamlined? And we talked all through that. And then we said, well, let's, we need to coach young parents. You know, I, I know I was coached as a young parent. We need to have the parent sit in little Johnny or little Sally's shoes for a minute. You know, what's it like for this kid that you love where all the rest of the week you're trying to make things great for them? What's it like for them to walk in a room 20 minutes late and have everybody stare at them? What's it like for the teacher who prepared all night to have a kid walk in and have to comfort them and break up the class? What's it like for the ushers when you walk up after the service is way past started and they've got to escort you to a seat and have you jump over other people who are now getting interrupted? And I said, we need creative ways to kind of lead people through this. See, that's what God does. He makes me to lie down in grass. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Now, I'm not a shepherd, and I don't know any shepherds. So I did what pastors have done forever. They go in the Philip Keller's book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. This man was a shepherd in Africa. His book has sold a million copies. And he has great insight on this verse. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Keller says sheep will only lie down if four criteria are met. Uh, look on the screen. Number one, they have to be free of all fear. Number two, free of all friction. They actually don't always get along with other sheep. Number three, free of pests and parasites. Four, free from hunger. This is where David's self-realization came in. David realized we're not self-made men. We are in this spinning ball in the universe, and there's a lot of fear in being here. Sometimes we feel alone. We can't control tomorrow. Jesus said you can't worry about tomorrow. Bad things are going to happen. We all know that life can turn on a dime, and many times we're plagued with anxiety. We're just like sheep. Of course, advertisers know this. Insurers know this. They play on all these fears. Keller said the calming effect that will make a sheep lie down is the presence of the shepherd. See, the hireling flees. The person who does it for a job flees when trouble comes. The good shepherd is always present with the sheep. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you my friends. I'll be with you to the end of the age. His presence is what we long for. To be able to sit down with a cup of coffee, open your Bible, and have the Lord speak to you is such a calming effect. He said, my peace I give you, my peace I leave you. He tabernacled among us. Uh, that's how I have approached pastoral ministry for 23 years. I have people that come to me and say, Pastor Bob, I'd like to talk to you. I know you're busy. I'll set an appointment. I'm like, you don't have to set an appointment. I'm here every Sunday. I'll sit with you in that cafe. I'm the last one here. Three years ago, this verse became more than theory to me. It was this very weekend, I told people to open your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 11. And the only thing I could describe is I felt like a trap door opened on the stage and I was dropped into an abyss. The only logical, coherent thought in my mind was, can somebody carry me off this stage? Somehow I got through the service, I have no idea, I have no idea what I talked about. I, I, you know, one of my pastors, I said, get me a donut and a cup of coffee, I'll meet you in my office. I sat in my office, and I'm like, I can't do this, something's wrong. 
They left to find out what was going on up here, and I literally saw myself on the floor with paramedics over me, and I thought I could do one or two things given to this or start walking. So I started to walk. 20 minutes later, I had a trail of people behind me, and meanwhile, services are going on here. I was out of ministry for four months. I couldn't read, drive, get on a plane or train for a couple weeks. My adrenals were low. The technical term is burnout. When I went home that day, I put Psalm 23, believe it or not, on the floor. Because even though I couldn't read, I knew I could quote it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Time went on. I had medical care, counseling, got some rest. I had colleagues who loved on me. And then one day, God downloaded something in my spirit I'll never forget. He said, I made you to lie down. That meant the world to me. My counselor told me I was a symptom manager. I was trying to get rid of symptoms. I was trying to get back in the pulpit. I was trying to do this. I was trying to figure out why it happened. I was the guy it could never happen to. I was trying all these things. And one day, God, in a still small voice, said, I made you lie down. I'm your shepherd. You're running too fast. You're running in your strength. You're doing it your way, and I need you to lie down. There's nothing to fear. There's great things ahead. I realized through those four months that God was rebuilding me for the second half, that if I had continued the road I was on, I would be in a lot of one. I would be lacking nourishment and health. And God said, no, we're going to do it a different way. One of the lessons I had to learn during this time was contentment. Paul said he learned, right? Contentment, he learned how to abound and abase and in all things to be content. He said godliness with contentment is great gain. I learned a, a new side of God. I looked at Genesis. I start reading the Bible afresh. And I read Genesis and I, here's God creating, you know, man on the sixth day. And guess what the seventh day was? A day of rest. God gets man, sixth day, he's created. Man's very next day on the earth it's a day of rest. Most of us here in America are workaholics. We're achievers. That's why we're the greatest nation on the earth. Rest is so foreign to us. God gave Israel a lazy day, one in seven, to rest. Why? Because he loves the sheep. I found it fascinating when Jesus was baptized that the voice from heaven said, this is my son, in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus hadn't even entered ministry, and God said, this is my son. I love him. I'm well pleased. The big idea from Psalm 23 is not that we as men and women are trying to figure out and feel and think about God. The truth is, we're learning to discover what he thinks and feels about us. And what he thinks about us is that we are the sheep of his pasture. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. Verse 3 says, he restoreth my soul. Some of your souls need restoring this morning. And I'm not talking about a backsliding condition. I'm just talking about the restoration of the soul. Because soul and speed don't work together. We live in a busy culture. And we got to figure out how this works. 
The Hebrew word for soul is nefesh, which can also mean breath. We live in a world where seasons of life and unfortunate things are going to be like a kick in the gut to all of us. Diagnosis from a doctor, pink slip from a job, denial of entrance into a university we long to go to, loved ones dying. It's all a kick in the gut. It's all knocking the wind out of us every day. I remember listening to a successful church leader leads a global ministry, character, stellar ministry, and one day he said, I prayed this prayer to God. It was almost like a psalm. He said, God, when I was 17 and I gave my life to you, you took my breath away. But now that I'm working for you, I feel out of breath most of the time. And David said, there's a God leading us to cool waters, to green pastures, not the green pastures we see in Lancaster, new fertile green If you've ever been to Israel, it's all rocks, but there's green there and there's dew and he's leading us there. But but are we willing to go? Are we willing to be still? Are we willing to rest? Are we willing to catch our breath? Some of you need to catch your breath. Some of you have gone through situations where you need to sit for a while. Sit under the word of God. Let it refresh you. David in Psalm 42, 1 said, why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? David had what I called soul talk. You ever talk to yourself? You should. And I know you think people will lock you up, but soul talk is good talk. It's really important to talk to yourself and, and to ruminate about life. Philip Keller said that there is such a thing as a cash sheep. Anybody know what a cash sheep is? That's a sheep laying on its back with its feet up. Imagine if you saw that driving the Lancaster. The reason you don't see it is because the shepherd who works 24-7 looks for a cast sheep and sets him right. Now, a cast sheep will bleat and die. Other sheep can't help him, right? Fitting analogy to the church. I mean, we need God and people, but at the end of the day, people can only take us so far. The shepherd comes and turns him up right. Now, a cast sheep can become cast for a few reasons. One of the reasons is he can eat so much that he lies down, and when he lies down, he gets in a rut, and he's upside down. You know, the Bible tells us to beware of this, that through pride and other things, we start to drift. We get lazy in the Christian faith. Sometimes they just lay down because There's no other sheep around. Again, if a hireling's in charge, no one ever puts them upright again. Jesus, throughout his ministry, was the restorer of souls. The woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, Peter after his denial, Paul after killing Christians. The story goes on and on and on. He restoreth my soul. And then it said, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. Now, I want you to see a few things here. When I went through my situation, God said to me, I made you lay down. And the second thing he told me is, you're not going to die. This is just the valley of the shadow of death. That was an eye-opener because I was having these attacks and people said, what were they like? I said, it was like two things. One, you think you're going to die or wake up in a mental ward. And then one day God said, you're not going to die. This is the shadow of death. 
I got to tell you, I lost all fear of death through this circumstance. And I could, I could relate to Paul who said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I got it for once and for all. It's only the shadow of death. That's why Psalm 23 is sung or read at so many funerals. The other thing David does here now is he starts, notice the the language here. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads, he does this, he does this. Now when he goes through the valley of the shadow of death, he's with me. He's with me. The beautiful thing about suffering in the kingdom of God, not only is God with us, but like Job, we have people that come and sometimes just sit quiet with us. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Now, the rod was to beat predators away. The staff had a little hook on it. It was to lead the sheep in the right direction. You have to pull them back or get them on track. Usually tools or instruments are scary things, right? I went to an ear doctor one time, and he put me in a dentist chair. Like, this is weird. He's got all the tools a dentist has, but I'm here for my ears. And then he gave me those famous words, you're going to feel some pressure. <laughs> and he put this device that literally, like a cartoon, I felt like it went one in ear and out the other. So we don't like people that have instruments that are going to do something to us. But David said, your rod and your staff, which I should be afraid of because you can beat me, comfort me. Now, I think this is a metaphor for the word of God. I think the word of God is for instruction, for reproof, for correction. And I think over time we've come to love the word of God. We're going to read a psalm of David where he said that his sin was like rottenness in his bones and he confesses. And and it was the word of God that brought him back. You know, Psalm 73, he said, my foot almost slipped. He said, when I saw, you know, the wicked prospering. He said, but then I came into the house of God and everything made sense again. The book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, saying everything was vanity. At the end comes to his senses. And he said, remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed. And he said, moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words. And what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise, Solomon said, are like goads or rods. And the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. One shepherd, one word, one God, all the way through the scripture. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Verse 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the midst of my enemies, my cup runneth over. Uh, Now David no longer is looking through sheep's eyes. Now he's looking at himself, the shepherd, looking at the great shepherd. Sheep don't need a table, but human beings do. David said, you prepared a table for me. Whenever I think of that, I think of the communion table. When Jesus sat down on that final Passover and said, this is my body, this is my blood, and one day in the kingdom we'll celebrate this together. Now you're my friends, I'm telling you everything I'm about to do. He anointeth my head, my cup runneth over, 
And an old man said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why would David dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Because there was no other shepherd he could find worth following. Every other one would give him lack. Drugs, we know where that leads. We know where alcohol leads, illicit sex, multiple marriages. You can go down the list. One shepherd, one word. He's the only one that loves us. I want you to sit quietly, and we've selected a song for you to ponder the shepherd you've given your life to. When the song is done, I'll come back with a few closing words.
Why don't we all stand together? And I think some of you are here today for one reason, and that's God wanted you to sit. And he wanted to tell you how good he is for you. It's the only reason you're here. Some of you may not want to come this morning, you didn't want to get out of bed, but you needed to hear that. Because the culture's telling you otherwise, people around you are telling you otherwise. You need to hear again, God is a good shepherd. And the beautiful thing about metaphor, think about this, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my fortress, the Lord is my rock. The beautiful thing about metaphor is that it expands. You know, the rest of the week you can think about these things, they expand. Uh, The terrible thing about religion is that we would reduce these things to idols, right? We, we, We give a little craft of rock, give it to everybody, a little statue of a shepherd, give it to you. And it confines it. The thing about David, he was the man after God's own heart because because it just expanded who God was. So I challenge you through the week to meditate on God's goodness, to read the scriptures, read the Psalms. So John's going to lead us now and we're actually going to sing what we just heard.